and chapter 1, the book of First Peter, <coughs> chapter 1. Pastor O'Halloran mentioned the uh, uh, popes asking uh, forgiveness. I happen to be somewhere where I watched this uh, uh, news report on this on CBN, Christian Broadcasting Network, and uh, I saw the picture of uh, the Pope uh, going up and kissing uh, this uh, huge uh, crucifix, and then the comment by Pat Robertson was, uh, this is a great man, and it's just wonderful to see uh, this kind of thing in the body of Christ and uh, this kind of thing is probably going to usher in uh, the last day move of God so that will tell you something about Pat Robertson's uh, spiritual sensitivity uh, uh, I'm not uh, the Pope's not saved Okay, <laughs> and so he's not my brother in Christ, uh, and uh, the Catholic are not part of the body of Christ. I'm not saying that there aren't some uh, Catholics that may have gotten saved and they need to get out, but uh, that's uh, brothers in Christ don't kiss statues. Brothers in Christ don't kiss idols. Uh, you know, God says to Elijah, I have 7,000 that have not bowed their knee nor ki to Baal nor kissed him. Okay, that's a pagan practice. And so uh, we're, we don't associate with that. And if we think that going up to an idol and kissing an idol's foot is going to bring in the last day move of God, then uh, so this is when you hear all the, the unity stuff, you know, and when these people just going uh, so wild about how, it, oh, isn't it wonderful uh, what's happening in the Catholic Church and what's happening, in it, don't, don't buy into it, okay? There, there are, because uh, that's the end result. You start stepping into the thing of unity, then you're going to start, you know, start talking about the Pope's kissing a statue as uh, and his asking for forgiveness uh, that this is going to this kind of thing is going to bring in the last day move and and the thing is Pat Robertson is supposed to be a Pentecostal and so um, anyways that has nothing to do with what I'm preaching on but he Vester O'Halloran said it and it, it that rem, reminded me about how mad I was so <laughs> um, <laughs> So uh, I just wanted, it says only in America can a pizza get to your house faster than an ambulance. Uh, Steve Bowman sent me this from Zambia. So it says uh, only in America do drug stores make the sick walk all the way to the back of the store to get their prescriptions while the healthy people can buy cigarettes up at, fr at the front. <laughs> Only, do, only in America do banks leave both doors open and then chain the pens to the counters. 
Only in America do we leave cars worth thousands of dollars in the driveway and put our useless junk in the garage. Only in America do we use answering machines to screen the calls and then have call waiting so we won't miss a call from someone we don't want to talk to in the first place. Only in America do we buy hot dogs and packages of ten and buns and packages of eight. Only in America can a homeless combat vet live in a cardboard box and a draft dodger live in the White House. <clears throat> so, so we live in the greatest country on earth, but we have problems. Not everything is perfect. In our salvation this morning, we enjoy a great salvation. But I dare say that there are folks here this morning, you're having problems in your salvation and I don't mean you just have problems I'm talking about problems in your salvation that God wants to help you with uh, from his word today and I want to talk about minding your holiness from first Peter chapter 1 beginning at verse 13 wherefore girding up the loins of your mind be sober and set your hope perfectly on the grace that is to be brought unto you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As children of obedience, do not allow yourselves to be fashioned according to your former lusts in the time of your ignorance. But like as he who called you is holy, be you yourselves also holy in all manner of living. Because it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. I'm going to probably take some remarks from the, the latter part of that passage, but we're going to just stop there for now in the interest of time. I want us to consider this thought of holiness, first of all, because this is a concept more often alluded to than actually uh, given understanding concerning. And uh, this uh, is uh, so often... Uh, misunderstood we uh, you start talking about holiness sometimes people uh, start imagining uh, women who have buns on top of their heads because they aren't supposed to cut their hair uh, aren't wearing jewelry or makeup we, you, these these types of images have come to our minds in the first chapter first part of the chapter uh, you know Peter's been talking about this glorious salvation born again washed in the blood joy unspeakable and full of glory and then he says wherefore therefore be holy that this salvation of ours is a glorious powerful wonderful thing that our sins have been cleansed by the blood of Jesus that it, we have been begotten again born again of the Holy Ghost We've been transformed on the inside, and uh, this, uh, uh, even though we don't see Jesus, we know Him, and we love Him, and we rejoice with a joy unspeakable and full of glory. Therefore, be holy. Be holy in all manner of conduct. He says we're to be holy because God Himself is holy that you and I are to reflect the character of God in every area of our lives 
It says that we are to be holy in all manner of living. We are to be holy in every aspect of our conduct. To reflect the character of God, that we're set apart, that we live lives under the claims of God as number one. 2 Corinthians 7, 1 says, Having therefore these promises, dearly beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. 1 Thessalonians 4, 7, For God hath not called us unto uncleanness, but unto holiness. And Hebrews 12, 14, Follow peace with all men, and holiness without which no man shall see the Lord. Holiness without which no one will see the Lord. Now, this means that this has something to do with our eternity. Now, I know we're justified by grace through faith. But anybody who has had an experience with Jesus Christ, a genuine experience, is not going to let that experience die, is going to pursue, need to pursue, holiness. See, we sang a song the first night, holiness. Holiness is what I long for. Holiness is what I need. Holiness is what you want from me. We have a number of songs that we sing, that we, we cry out, we, we let God know we want to be holy, that we want His character reflected in our lives, how we speak, how we treat people, as Pastor O'Halloran was sharing. We want holiness in our morals. We want holiness in our, in, in, in our uh, uh, how we handle our finances. We want holiness and, and we want to be holy men and women. And so when we, uh, we understand the battle that is involved there and, and uh, how far short we may fall. And when, we, uh, when it comes to those songs, you know, our hands are in the air and we are in that song. We are crying out from our hearts for holiness. But we know that just singing the songs doesn't produce it. And this morning, there are some discouraged people here, some defeated people, some broken-hearted Christians, that you've sung the holy songs, you've answered altar calls, time and time and time without number, you can't remember how many times you prayed, you fasted, you have cast out devils, you have read your Bible, you have made the standard efforts over, sometimes over the years. And there remains today in your life an area or areas that seem incurably unholy something in your life 
that you have done everything you've been told to do. Every time there's an altar call, you come, a deliverance line, you come. Evangelist, you come. And yet, that area of sin in your life, that area of sexual sin, that area of hatred and bitterness toward people, toward humanity sometimes, that that selfish response, the, the jealousies, the envies, the unbelief, these are things that you have become totally defeated and totally discouraged in ever seeing your life changed. You've battled and failed and you may even claim that after all the years that I've served God, after all the altar calls that I've answered, and Pastor, I've had you pray for me, and uh, and all the evangelists pray for me, and not only has not God not changed me, I'm worse now. I'm worse now. It's not gotten better. It's gotten worse. Now, when you have somebody telling you something like that, somebody that has been under your ministry for, say, seven years, there's areas of their life when they, when you say, well, did you do that? Yes. Did you do that? Did you do that? Have you done that? Yes. And, 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 and uh, are you faithful? And uh, uh, yes. And, and, and there's absolutely nothing, you, you know, well, you just, and, it, and it's all there. But I haven't gotten better I've gotten worse. And so I'm not serving God any longer because I can't do it. I can't. And you cannot look at their, well, you just didn't try. No, they did try. They really tried. See, when we're talking about holiness, first of all, we're not talking about perfection. You and I are not going to reach a sinless state of perfection this side of the rapture as uh, Pastor Oliver so uh, ably ministered yesterday. But you know, there ought to be progress. Not perfection, but progress. A growth in grace and going on and being changed. Not filled with guilt and shame, unbelief and bitterness. Or either seeing everybody else is better than you because of the issue in your life that is not being changed. Or you take the other tack and you figure everybody else is a hypocrite because they're probably just as messed up as you are, but they're not admitting it. I want to look at the mind. See, we try all the spiritual answers, but ignore or neglect the issue that Peter brings out here of the mind. We repent, 
We quit. We cast out devils. But this passage and others says there is more to it than that. And we have a command here that has to do with what we do with our minds. Do not allow yourselves to be fashioned according to your former lusts in the time of your ignorance. Now, that word fashion is really the word conform. It's the same word in, in Romans chapter 12, be not conformed to this world. It is saying that you and I as believers in Jesus Christ can actually have something working in us that is fashioning us, not according to the will of God, not according to holiness, but is working in us and fashioning us, literally shaping our insides according to our former lusts. According to the things that we were subservient to, the things we served, the things we were enslaved to before we were saved. That now, as born-again, blood-washed, Holy Ghost-filled Christians, something inside of us can be shaping us. God's trying to shape something in us. We're in Bible conference for God to shape something in us. We come to church, we pray, we read our Bibles because we want God shaped inside of us. But there's something else that is shaping us inside. We are being fashioned inside. We can be being fashioned inside, let me put it that way, according to the former lusts done in the time of our ignorance. The things that we lived for before we were even saved. See, Ephesians 2, 3 says, Among whom also we all had our conversation or our lifestyle in time past, in the lusts of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. See, before we were saved, we lived according to the lusts of our flesh and fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind. See, we know that as long as we're in this tent, we are still going to have to deal with our flesh. And we, we preach about that and we deal with that, but we are not just being shaped by the appetites of our flesh, we're being shaped by the appetites of our mind. It's not just an issue of nature. It's something up here. It's something about our minds. That's why this passage of Scripture begins, Wherefore, gird up the loins of your mind. See, this is the picture, and you've been saved for some time that you know, that in the ancient world uh, they would wear uh, longer flowing uh, clothing garments, and so when it came time to do any exertion 
uh, uh, to run, to fight, to work. Then they would take that uh, garment, they would wrap it up between their legs and, and, uh, and put it inside of their belt to, to tighten it down. So that their garments were not being caught by uh, the wind and every uh, bit of element that was uh, uh, rushing by was not getting caught on uh, the things at work, was not uh, tripping them up as they were trying to fight. Paul is saying there are things about your mind that are being blown about, that are being influenced that are being directed by other uh, influences besides the influence of God and the Holy Spirit's work in your life. There are things in your mind that are not... There are things in your mind that are being influenced. There are things in your mind that that is the direction that they take. They are going according to your former life, not according to your new life in Jesus Christ. Being whipped about by the winds of lust and appetite and ambition, and these must be forced into obedience so they we are not tripped up by them. This is something we must do. Second Timothy one seven says, For God hath not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. That's a disciplined mind. When you get saved, God did not discipline your mind. God began to work in you to give you the capacity to discipline your mind. Your mind is going to be altered not by spirit control, but by your control. Helped, of course, by the Holy Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit is self-control, as Pastor O'Halloran mentioned today. You and I have been given the power by the Holy Spirit to begin to discipline our minds. Well, you get problems with the devil, just cast him out. Well, the Bible says, be sober, be vigilant for your adversary, the devil. So obviously it's not enough just to cast him out. It's not enough to just get a deliverance. We believe in that. We pray for that. But I've had people in deliverance lines a hundred times and still fall back into the same thing because you have to be sober and be vigilant after you walk away from the deliverance line. And those are words of the mind. There are courses that your mind has taken during the time of your ignorance. Courses that my mind has taken during the time of of my ignorance that have the capacity still today to shape my behavior if I permit it.
See, we perceive all reality through our minds. I don't know if you've ever been in one of these IMAX theaters. You know, I guess they have one at OMSI and uh, different places. I, I know I was in one one time. Oh, I think, yeah, in, in Alamogordo, uh, they had one at the science uh, museum there. And you go in and it's this whole dome thing, right? And they take you on this, you know, this. it's, it's like you're watching this movie. But because it covers the whole dome and kind of takes in all your peripheral vision, you know, you're flying through Grand Canyon and you're going, whoa, and, and you know, and they're telling you, if you're going to, if you think you're going to throw up, close your eyes. Well, here you are sitting in a chair. You are not flying through the Grand Canyon. But you cannot tell your stomach that. Your, your stomach, your mind is, and you're going and you're weaving back and forth. Have you ever had the experience where you're just sitting in a car? Sitting parked in a car and, uh, uh, you, you know, maybe waiting for somebody to come in the car and all of a sudden you look out your side one window and what's happening is the car is pulling out next to you. But your mind tells you you're going forward and so you slam on the brakes. And then you're... <laughs> and... Uh, <laughs> Now, that only happens for a split second. But see, your mind has perceived an entire reality. See, this is what happens to folks in depression. Is that it's like you are living constantly thinking you're rolling forward when you're not. You're living constantly with this thing that life is absolutely hopeless. And there is no future, and, and you cannot perceive, it, it can't, you cannot register anything else. Now you can say, well, just cast that spirit out. Well, sometimes it's not an issue of just a spirit. Sometimes it's an issue of perception that has to be re-thunk long-term. See, I'm going to read some quotes. Now you have to, don't mock me, okay? You can mock me, you know, over lunch, but just not right now. I want you to listen, because we're talking about a mind. This is a real thing. There's actually gray matter in there. Or there should be. <laughs> There's... And what do you think of when you think of your mind? You think something up there like a movie screen that there's just a bunch of films on that, of how you perceive life? No, your mind... There's an area in your mind is called the neocortex. That is... Scientists tell us is the seat of your will. That is where 
You make your choices in life. It is made up of clusters of interconnected neurons. It is also the part of the brain whose connections between neurons will be slowly modified over time, strengthening some connections, weakening others, and eliminating some entirely, all based on how experience shapes us. This ongoing process embeds the emerging patterns of our choices ever more firmly in actual tissue changes. These changes make it that much more likely for us to make the same choice with less direct effort the next time and much more difficult for us to make a different choice. It is important to emphasize that the strengthening of connections between nerve cells involves an actual increase in tissue. Clearly, new patterns of behavior can be learned on top of the old ones, but the old ones will not be eliminated. Furthermore, the new ones will be acquired with much greater difficulty. because they are not being learned off of a random, only slightly configured base, but off of a base already converged into a physically and biologically shaped form. See, when, I, when we're born, like there's a bunch of stuff we don't know how to do. Like, you know, little babies, you watch little babies, they, uh, uh, I was watching one of our uh, new little babies, we had a bunch of them recently, and uh, uh, little, little Blake Mead, and I saw him for the first time, he reached over and grabbed his own cheek and just squeezed it like this. That was a cute little thing, but you know, he wasn't saying, you know, I feel like grabbing my cheek right now. Right, that's just, babies do these random, they have a word for it, or a, you know, some random movement. They just do stuff, you know. And they, uh, and... <laughs> and, and that's how they, they function. But of course, as they grow, they can start, you know, they can get, they can start getting the, the thumb where it belongs. And pretty soon after a while, boop, whoop, whoop, you know, they can get that thumb in there and uh, that's a, a, they learn that. Their mind begins to be trained to go in that direction. Now we can think of it too in terms of something like a playing piano. You know, babies can't play piano. Some of you can't play piano. But you know, it takes... You know, when you start trying to learn and make your fingers do that, but see, after a while, 
you can do it. And you can do it with ease. Something's happened in your brain. Something that your brain could not permit you to do. You can do. Now, you can have all the desire in the world. Piano playing. Piano playing is what I long for. Piano playing is what I need. And, and you know, and, uh, and, just, and just go up to the piano. <laughs> Cast out the spirit of inability to play the piano. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm coming to the piano. I'm not hanging around with saxophones. I'm coming with the piano. You know, and, uh, and you know, you're doing, you're doing all the stuff. But see, it, the, it hasn't happened up here. You've got to practice. And as you practice, something's formed here. Now, the problem is that sometimes we have patterns of behavior that go absolutely opposed to this. You know, if all you've been doing is slinging a hammer all day long for the last 30 years, and you're going to take that fist and try and make that start playing Chopin, that's going to be tough. That's going to be tougher. Because your mind and its connection with your hand has been very much strengthened to do the an exact opposite thing. And now, it's not like unformed brain connections like a baby. It's they're already formed and they're heading in the wrong direction. You ever see a, a tennis player? Your tennis players look like mutants. Right? Because one arm looks like Popeye and the other arm looks like it's atrophied. Because all they do with one hand is, is toss the ball up in the air and the other is does all the work. That's a picture of areas of our brain. There are areas of our brain that are just like Pete Sampras' arm. The arm that he plays with. I don't know which one he plays with, but... It, there are aspects of our brain that could be going along lines of holiness. They, they look like they've atrophied. They have not been formed yet. And the problem is, usually we don't get saved when we're two days old. Some of us don't get saved till some patterns have been, become very, very strong in our thinking. Some patterns of how we react to people. Some patterns of lustful thinking. Patterns of where our eyes go. Patterns of how we respond when we're hurt. Patterns of how we react when somebody is elevated ahead of us or looks more attractive than us. And so now, you know, we don't want to be that, we don't want to be that way anymore. But we always find our minds ending up there. 
It just seems like that's where our minds go. But what that is, is today saved, you and I being, a, being fashioned according to the lusts of our life from before we're saved. The problem is that sometimes these things are not dealt with and not responded to and are, are continued problems in our salvation. And so even while we're saved, they're not just getting, they're not weakening, they're even getting stronger even while we're saved. Because the bitternesses or the unforgivenesses or the lusts and, and the pornography and other things are not dealt with. Oh, we pray, we do, but in terms of the mind. And so we not only have the years before we're saved that have strengthened channels of thinking, things in our minds that have become dominant, dominant in our thinking, they've also been further strengthened even since we've been saved. You know, it's tough to, for an older person to learn a foreign language. You know, uh, we have a man in our church, J.C. Perez, he speaks Spanish to his kids. It's a very wise thing to do because those kids will grow up to have a facility to speak Spanish that, you know, my kids that are trying to learn it in high school or in college, you know, I mean, it's a major effort. Why is that? Because their, their brains go along the patterns of English. And so now they have to build some patterns on top of those patterns. And brain matter that has already been formed. And when we come to Jesus, we have brain matter that has already been formed according to the lust done in our ignorance. Now, we have to build on top of them. They're not just random like they were when we were young. Now we have to build on top of them. And they will never be completely eliminated. So that might give you some insight into why you still battle some things. Why your mind continues to betray you. And why you have come a jillion times to cast out that spirit. And you know what? It certainly left. The problem is, your mind didn't get cast out. The problem is, you still have a mind that has been configured, literally configured, trained to sin. Sinful attitudes and sinful actions. See, what makes it very intense is when the results of those, the, the end results of those connections is connected to pleasure, like drug pleasure, alcohol pleasure, sexual pleasure. Then those Connections are, are very, very strong. 
See, much of addictive behavior is an issue of the mind and is particularly an issue of how we respond, listen to me, to anxiety. Folks, sometimes, and I, and I know this isn't 100%, sometimes folks that have greater trouble with addictions in life are more prone to addiction. There's no such thing as a, an alky gene. You know, you got a gene that's going to make you an alcoholic. But you know, there are folks that are far more susceptible to anxiety than others. They're just far more anxious by nature. They're stre- they, 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 they feel pain internally. And, and, uh, and you know, pleasure brings a soothing to the anxieties within. And I'm not just talking about, you know, the, 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 the visa bills not getting paid. I'm talking about just your anxious response to relationship, to conflict, to, in, you know, uncertainty. And what happens is, particularly, you know, we step into our adolescence and it's a time of tremendous anxiety and lo and behold, we start discovering drugs and we start discovering alcohol and we start discovering sexual sin and, and other things and, and we find such a relief and it's just soothed. We're just soothed. The problem is we go on in life, you know, and we're still susceptible to the anxieties of life. And our minds, when we're anxious, have been patterned to pursue those things for the soothing of our anxieties. It's sinful. It's wicked. It's I'm not talking about something this this excuses. I'm talking about these are the dynamics that you and I must fight against. And they can be fought against. It says, Gird wherefore gird up the loins of your mind. If you're going to be holy, it's going to have to be a mental thing. Supernatural Work of salvation, supernatural work of deliverance, wonderful cleansing of the blood of Jesus. And and yet, you cannot leave this out. Because this is the strong... It is not the devil, necessarily, that is the thing that you are fighting so intense. It's probably your own brain. And you must work to reconfigure your brain. Say, but I still have the... Well, you know what? Those things may always be there. But over time, if you will not think like that, refuse to think like that, I'm not going to think like that. I'm not going there. Over time. And let me say that again. Time. Time. Then those things do not have to be such a powerful force in your thinking. Oh, so you mean it's okay if I just uh, 
uh, masturbate for the next 20 years until my mind's reconfigured? No, I don't mean that. I'm just saying you have to fight it. Fight it right now. But it's not going to be such a fight sometime down the road. It's not an excuse. It's just understanding what your battle is. And knowing, don't be discouraged. Well, I still have these thoughts. And I'm still tempted. Get thee behind me, Satan. Well, he may have been behind you. But something's got to be reconfigured in your mind. See, this is to give you hope. Hope that if you will battle, I'm not going there. I'm girding up the loins of my mind. I'm going to be holy. If I'm going to be holy, I need to gird up the loins of my mind. I've got mind that have had thought patterns that have been going in this direction towards hatred, jealousy, bitterness, envy, lying, deception, drug addiction, alcohol. Pornography, adultery, unfaithful, whatever it is, my, my mind has been going in these, and I'm not going there. I'm going here. And you know what? It's harder because I'm older. I'm not two days old anymore. I'm not five days old anymore. It almost feels like it's just this mind over matter thing. Well, in a very real way, it is mind creating matter. You are turning a very weak aspect of your brain and a, and a part of your brain that is configured already to sin and you are slowly, by girding up the loins of your mind, in accordance with holiness, you are building and building literal matter in your mind so that it will become easier and easier and easier to say yes to sin. <laughs> easier and easier and easier to say yes to righteousness. <laughs> easier and easier to say no to sin. The devil's really been on me. He, it might be. It might be. But it might be your own brain. Ephesians 4.23 And be renewed in the spirit of your mind. And you pray that way. Be renewed in the spirit of your mind. That there would be supernatural help in renewing your mind, in reconfiguring your mind. Romans 12, 2, and be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. You and I can, if, if we do not refashion our minds, if we do not reconform our mind, reform our minds, then we will be conformed to the world, to the patterns that are already there.
See, we've been given great power, and, and I, I, I need to close very quickly. Second Corinthians 10, 4 through 5. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds, casting down imaginations, and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Jesus Christ. We haven't been left to ourselves. There is spiritual power to tear down strongholds, to begin to weaken strong neural connections in our minds, and to reconfigure holy connections in our minds. There is power to do that. It says we've not been redeemed with corruptible things, but incorruptible from a vain manner of life handed down from our fathers with, with the precious blood as of a lamb without spot, even the blood of Christ. See, the blood of Jesus Christ can cleanse our consciences. The blood of Jesus can help us to weaken old patterns and strengthen new patterns. The victory of Calvary when Jesus defeated sin for us, that extends to our brains. It says that so that your faith and hope might be in God. See, this you must have hope that even though you still battle things in your mind, that that doesn't mean that you have not, you're not being changed. It doesn't mean that you'll never be free. It doesn't mean that you, uh, you'll, you'll never be any different. It simply means exactly what the Word of God says. You've got a brain that has been configured, literally programmed to sin. And now it's got to be reprogrammed, but it's harder it's harder to do because it's already all the connections have already been made and now we've got to lay some new ones on top not on just loose stuff but on stuff that are already being used for other things so yes there's a battle yes there's a struggle yes it seems like, man, it's the same old, same old, but it, you must have hope that if you will discipline your mind, there's help, Holy Ghost help, blood of Jesus help, victory of Calvary help. You know, it gives just another perspective that later on in this text. It says, and as newborn babes, desire ye the sincere milk of the Word that you may grow thereby. Remember the babies with their random actions. You know, we think of the, you know, the, the, the drinking of uh, the milk of the Word in terms of, uh, of uh, you know, physical growth. But, but think of it as a little baby's brain. That just like a little baby's brain, can be configured to do things that were, it was impossible for 
to do before. Begin to talk. Begin to reach out and grab. Begin to walk. Those are things that the brain, that baby's brain is now being configured to do. In the same way, if you and I give ourselves to the Word of God, refusing... See, you, it's, it's not just, just to read it or to, refusing to go by the old patterns, but allowing the Word of God to reconfigure new patterns just like He does in a little baby's brain. The things that were so impossible for us to do before. That we can begin to do because of the Word of God reconfiguring our minds you need to read your Bible every day but you know what you need to read it and meditate on it read it and think about it don't tell me that you read ten chapters a day if you can't even tell me what book you read but if you read a verse of scripture and you thought about it and dwelt upon it and allowed it to actually have some time to strengthen a new course in your brain, then that's something. We don't just read our Bible just, you know, as a, as a thing. Well, yeah, I read through the whole Bible 60 times last year. Well, cool. But I used to read, read 10 chapters a day and couldn't tell you one thing I read. Got that down. Okay. That. What good was that? Well, it was the Bible. <laughs> yeah, but this is still a brain. The Bible is supernatural. My brain isn't. And if my brain is going to assimilate something, it's going to have to think about it. And yours, I think, is the same way. Think about it. Let the Word of God dwell in you richly so some new connections start being made in your mind. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes. We're asking that no one would look around or move around just for a few moments. Last conference I talked about the powerful force of imagination linked with our appetites that was dealt with largely our fantasy life or the things uh, that we put before us. It's largely a thing of just not dwelling on a particular thing or watching our entertainments. But in a very real way, this is the other side of all of this. That it involves that. It involves not going there. Remember, every time you go there, you are strengthening that wicked connection just that much more. Every time you go there, lust-wise, hatred-wise, bitterness-wise, you are literally strengthening your mind in that direction. But every time you refuse to go there, it is not being strengthened. There is every likelihood that 
to that extent, it's become just a little weaker. And something new is being strengthened. This is not the task of an instant deliverance. This is a decision that you and your life are going to gird up the loins of your mind. You're not going to leave aspects of your mind hanging out there that can be caught up and influenced by every wicked lust and appetite that may come in life. The things that have dominated your mind. And that does not mean that uh, this is all you ever think about and all you ever think uh, dwell on it. No, it just means that when the time comes, it's a very powerful force to influence your behavior and shape your life. We can be conformed. We can be fashioned internally by what our minds have recorded and literally, biologically shaped concerning our former life. We're going to live a new life, but those things are going to have to slowly, slowly, slowly die. And ever so slowly, we're going to have to build some new connections. Harder this time, because patterns that we set sometimes when we were young children or adolescents, when our minds were still being formed, now we've got to form on top. But God will help you. Don't say you haven't been changed. Don't say, well, I've cast out all the devil. I've answered all the deliverance things. What have you been doing about your mind? What have you been doing with your mind? What about gluttony? What about greed? What about pride and arrogance? Repent of the sin. But you need to, by the Word of God and by the blood of Jesus Christ, inspired and helped by the Holy Ghost, you're going to need to reconfigure your mind. Maybe you're here this morning and you're not a Christian. You've never been born again. You want to give your life to Jesus Christ today. I want to pray for you right there where you're seated. Lift up your hand. Christian or a backslider you made a decision for Jesus at one time but now you're not serving God quickly this morning we heard a sermon about repentance about just getting it right every area of life allowing nothing to remain because if it remains it grows and say well I can keep this no, if you leave it in your heart, it will grow. And it will one day be the dominant force in your life. Because the thorns always win. Pastor Went preached about taking up your cross.